Welcome to the Mary's Mentors Podcast. My name is Mary Rose Swan. And I'm Mary Letitia Deal. And this is a podcast about business, life, human design, and whatever the fuck we want. (laughs) You know that we've been talking a lot about human design, and uh, Mary and I are going to have a nine-part series on human design centers. Um, going through all of the nine centers. So we wanted to tell you a little bit about centers. Right. We wanted to give a quick little 101 on what human design centers are. We've both been doing so much reading and research lately about human design. It's pretty fascinating when you get to sit down with a book and just read through it like you're back in back in high school with the textbook. I know nobody was really excited to read textbooks, but I'm one of the nerds that always loved the smell of a good textbook. So why do we want to talk about human design centers? Well, mainly because the centers are what determine our energy type, which Mary is a generator, I am a projector, um, but it also determines our authority, which is our inner decision-making system. So they are very important in a categorical way in making sure that we know a lot more about the similarities between the different energy types based on their definition. Yes, and what is a center? Um, It's one of the nine shapes inside your body graph. So they all kind of look like little triangles um, and each of them governs um, the areas of the body as well as different areas in your life. And um, they will either have a color in them or be white. And that's letting us know if they're open or defined. So how do centers become defined? Well, this is actually what I found out recently was super interesting. The, The definition in our chart is based on active channels between two centers. So if you have two little pieces of the puzzle that, that happen to create one thoroughfare, if you will, one through way between two, that is what will make you have active definition on the landing, the landing pads, if you will, of those two pieces of definition. So if there's not a completion between two different centers, meaning if it's kind of broken, if you will, um, you won't define that that specific center. They have to connect. And you can tell. You'll be able to tell in your chart when they connect because, again, your centers will be defined. Yeah. And if they're defined versus open, like I just said, they're going to be yellow, green, brown, or red. Um, if they're defined, if they're open, they're just a white uh, little triangle or shape there. So we wanted to really kind of at least give you a very limited background on what these mean, because obviously we don't want anyone to be kind of scratching their head throughout, confused on what we're talking about. Um, So if you have any questions about definition, how do you tell if yours is defined or not, you would go to your chart by running a a chart at mybodygraph.com, jovianarchive.com, or geneticmatrix.com. All right. So enjoy this series about the human design centers. Thank you. Hi, Mary. It has been 
well, a minute since we've we've chatted. How have you been? Good. How are you? Good. I realize in the in the scope of everything, nobody knows that it's been a minute. But I just wanted to to comment that this has been um, an interesting Mercury retrograde for us. And if you could see Mary's face, you'd see her <laughs> eyes nearly rolling into the back of her head because she's a Gemini, and straight up Mercury retrograde in Gemini, and then an eclipse on top of that. Tell us what the eclipse adds to the mix there. I think it just highlights everything. I think it intensifies and heightens everything else that's going wrong. It like shines a bright light on it, even though it's eclipsing. Oh, that's a good point. Like a magnifying glass, Mm -hmm. like really magnifying glass. Cross the grass. Yep. (laughs) And sets sets everything on fire. (laughs) <laughs> our senses, our, our emotions are inflamed. And we were talking about this because uh, we just both are of different signs that are being extra, uh, extra affected by this mercury retrograde. But the awareness is so much better when you know what's happening. So you can kind of at least what, like we talked about, not taking it personally. <laughs> oh. It only take. I, I don't know. We were almost what? Eight, eight days in, 10 days in before I realized, like before you made me <laughs> aware, like I knew, I knew it was going on, but I didn't realize the level and then the level and then the eclipse. Well, yeah. Well, and it, t- I think the deeper we got into it, which was what was really interesting is we both noticed things at the beginning, like, like we both were getting, like I was communications and things like that, that we were like, Ooh, like the past is coming back. And I was like, Oh yeah, that that's kind of part of this. But it seemed like the deeper and deeper we got into it, the the harder and harder it's been. And I don't know, I feel like we're on the downward swing. This is the pendulum and, you know, communications now we can at least be like, okay, yeah, we are, we're all acting a little, a little crazy these days um, and give each other more grace. I feel like that's my favorite part of the retrograde is that we all get to work on our compassion a little bit more. A little bit. Grace is a good thing. Grace is a good thing. Uh, Talking about today, Mary. Well, before we get rolling into our topic, let's just, it's, you know, we've had so much time to absorb different information and different books or podcasts. And so what are you listening to or what's popped into your ears lately that you want to share? Well, I don't know if I've ever shared about this podcast before, um, but this podcast will kill you. I don't know through the exactly right network. (laughs) They did one on Mercury this week. And wow, like the things we, A, that we, that we, if we aren't paying attention, don't know what we're doing to our earth with Mercury going into everything and B, how much we absorb it through so much. Like I'm a huge fish lover, huge fish lover. And that's one of the main ways that you absorb Mercury. So learning a little bit about that. I don't know. I love to learn. So that was, you you also love to freak yourself out. Didn't you, you were all super, what was it that you were telling me about with the, this podcast will kill you. You told me about an episode that you totally freaked yourself out on recently. Oh, the one with the anemas in the water, the the waterborne, the brain brain eating anemas. Oh yeah. Fresh water, all beware of fresh water, just in case. Don't get it straight up your nose. Wear nose clips, put nose clips on your babies. 
nose clips. That. Nose clips. Like your nose. Anytime so you're going to go high dive, you know what? Better yet, just and don't go. Any fresh water. It's just fresh water. Oh, not chlorinated water. Not chlorinated, just fresh water. And so not even ocean water, just fresh water is the only place. And it has to be above a certain temperature. So warm, mm. fresh water are where the brain eating anebas grow. I guess that's kind of the benefit of there's so many mountain lakes in Montana that are too high to really be so I mean, cold. Like, like I think about Georgetown Lake and it's like icy cold all summer long. Yeah. So you probably wouldn't have to worry so much there, but definitely in a river. I mean, really, ugh, anytime you're river, and and I think about all the water water skiers and things like that on places like Canyon Ferry. Canyon Ferry mm-hmm. gets warm. It gets so warm it grows algae and shit. Cooney like, probably like, also gets Cooney, really warm. I feel like those places and then the the thing is is that if you fall off a water ski. And you get that water straight up your nose. That's the only way that they affect you is to get water straight up your nose. Oh, gosh. Um, but think the same thing about kayakers, you know, they roll in the river, roll like getting that water straight up your nose is, is how that happens. So I'm just really happy that my body has naturally told me things that it doesn't want me to do, which is anything that involves being going at a high speed or potentially crashing on water. Like my, I just reject those things, reject them. <laughs> um, Well, I'm actually going to mention I read an amazing book last week that is a work of fiction. Uh, I'm pulling it up really quickly because I loved it. It was called The Gods, or just, no, The Gods of Jade and Shadow by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. Oh, and I just, it was um, magical realism, Mayan folklore, the Yucatan Peninsula, Uh, but it was like a traveling tale. Oh, I just loved it. It was so good. So if you're into any of those things, I would definitely recommend Gods of Jade and Shadow. It was a pretty quick read, but I was just so absorbed in it. And I kind of wish that there was a part two. (laughs) I love those types of books that just immediately take you there. Me too. All right. Well, you had asked the question, what are we talking about this week? And this week's topic is the solar plexus center in the human design chart. So this particular center is, um, if you're looking at your chart, it is usually down kind of um, to the right of the sacral and it connects upwards into, I'm actually going to grab my book. I believe it connects upwards into the heart center and down into the root center. Yes. Oh, but it also connects directly to the throat Um, Yep. So you can connect to the heart, the throat, the sacral, or the root center. Um, This particular center governs the lungs, the kidneys, the pancreas, the prostate, and the nervous system, which of course, you know, um, because when I explain a little bit later, your nervous system is part of where we feel all of our emotions. So the solar plexus center is the center that governs our emotions. So if you have emotional authority, like if somebody does their human design chart and they have emotional authority, it's because their solar plexus is defined. Um, Over half of the population does have this center defined um, and it becomes their authority. And so I kind of wanted to put this in because it was so interesting to me is this particular center is a little bit like a trump card. If it's defined, then your authority will be emotional. It doesn't matter if you have any other 
centers that usually kind of, you know, like the sacral, for example, Mary is a generator. So her, she has a sacral um, definition, but because her solar plexus is defined, her authority is emotional. So she, she has a defined sacral, but she also has this definition in her solar plexus. So tell us a little bit about how the solar plexus operates, Mary. So the solar plexus functions in a wave um, and a, a wave has a crest and a trough or a high and a low. And the first time I read this sentence, I was a little like trough, but the high and the low, the emotional wave, just like seeing a wave in the ocean, it, it's, it's definitely got that, that peak and then the trough. I like that. So the human emotional experience is seeking out the highs and avoiding the lows at all costs. <laughs> Um, there is also desire to rationalize or explain why emotions have changed um, by those who do not understand emotional authority, aka everyone without emotional authority. <laughs> I, I put that in because I wanted to use the example of my husband who does not have a defined solar plexus and is constantly asking me why I'm doing or feeling something. And I'm like, I, I can't, it, 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 it does not compute to him that I can't explain my feelings. I'm like, explain yours. You can't. <laughs> explain yours. <laughs> I just feel them. Yeah, exactly. Um, this, the key to the solar plexus is waiting. And this has been the most important thing I feel like that I have learned from human design is the waiting piece. Like I am such a reactor. Like I, I have an answer before people ask the question most of the time and to learn to wait and feel things out has been huge for me. The emotional highs and lows of being an emotional authority can be uncomfortable, avoiding the lows, anxiety about the highs. Um, but waiting is what allows the emotional, um, <laughs> the emo to, uh, process the data from their wave and re reach clarity. And I almost said react clearly because that's the way I feel. <laughs> right, exactly. It is um, just that changeable nature and, and really embracing our changeability. Mm -hmm. It is just being able to say, I feel this way now. I understand I will feel differently if I wait. And so that's kind of like that whole point of... Um, I don't know, you're riding rough waves in the ocean, but eventually those waves do carry out to an even point. Like when you reach the shoreline, you notice that those waves, they, they, they level out. And that, that I think is like the clarity is reaching shore. Like a wave in and of itself will crest, it will, it will crash, and then it will even out once it reaches shore. Yep, absolutely. And I, and I feel the waiting piece, if you can do it, really does allow you to know how do you feel now? How will you feel in a little bit? And how do you ultimately feel? Mm -hmm. And, and there is all three of those, like you just explained the wave. Um, and sometimes they're all three different. <laughs> exactly. So waving is very important theme within human design. All energy types other than the manifestor type have a strategy that begins with waiting waiting to respond for generators like me and, and manifesting generators, and then um, waiting for the invitation for projectors, and then the waiting for the one, the full lunar cycle. Um, the which, 
reflectors. (laughs) The reflectors. And I feel so bad for them because waiting just through my own emotional wave is such a long wait. Yes, because it's it's like human design is trying to teach us patience or something. (laughs) I roll exactly. I know it's, it is, I feel like that is like the thing I've never thought of myself as a patient person. I've always felt as though I am impatient. I want things to happen quickly. I want resolutions quickly. And, you know, the more that we lean into saying, okay, well, this is how I feel now. I will feel differently in a little while. And then between those two, what can I live with? What can I I think that's also just part of life. And I mean, all of these things mirror so beautifully in human design with just aspects of being a human mm-hmm. and the the lessons that we would, the things we say we want to teach our kids that are really the things that we aren't necessarily embodying ourselves. Human design kind of gives us that, that like we say roadmap or a plan a more of a formulated idea of this is how waiting benefits you, not just acting and responding all the time, but really waiting and feeling in your body how you feel. Um, So both Mary and I are defined solar plexus. So that means we both have emotional authority. And when she said emo, like I'm an emo projector, it doesn't mean I'm emo. I mean, I would be cool if I was, but I never could put the money into all that much black and, and metal studs on my clothing. But, um, that is kind of like a lot of people within the human design community. If you say you're emo, then that just means that your authority is emotional um, in case anybody's like, that's interesting. So as we are both defined, I have to really lean in to the reading piece to understand the open center. So um, we, as we talked about in all of our other episodes about the human design centers, when you're open, it doesn't mean you don't have emotions. I mean, if this is the emotional center, it just means that you are an amplifier for the emotions around you. And that also means that that someone with an open solar plexus can be conditioned more deeply because of both the openness and the amplification. So like equating this with an analogy is open centers are like open windows but what if the window um, has been glued shut, like gluing it shut, you know how people like have an old house that the window sills are all painted shut. That's conditioning. That is, you know, your window is naturally wanting to be open, but somebody has decided that you need to stay shut. And that is where you're conditioned to, you know, I think I don't want to say specifically just in men, but just that whole toxic masculinity conditioned mentality of, men are strong. That means they are less emotional. All of these things that really glue men's emotional qualities shut instead of allowing them to be open. And I, I mean, I don't know if that's the population, if we would see statistically more women or emotional gener- or emotional authorities than men. And I haven't really done any math on that. It would be an interesting experiment. Um, but also now with gender fluidity, it may kind of be a moot point because we're all just humans. It doesn't really matter. Um, but, the, but the societal conditioning is where it's geared towards a specific gender. So an open solar plexus. Oh, actually, before we move on to that. So I want to give you a chance to talk since when I've been talking, I just kind of word vomit. What do you think about that, the window, the the glued or painted shut window analogy? 
The painted shut window analogy was a good analogy because it, it's very visual, like you know exactly what that means um, as far as visual goes. Um, I feel like the conditioning that happened specifically with men, like you were saying, I, I was actually having a conversation about my son this morning and how I really, really beat myself up over not getting him in therapy at age five when he needed it. And then by age 15, when like it was really needed, it was impossible. Like he was so far conditioned to the fact that that means something's wrong with him that he couldn't, he couldn't do it. And now that he's going to enter into this relationship, this marriage and bringing a child into the world, again, I'm at this point where I'm like, it doesn't mean something's wrong, but if you have somebody to tell you when you're being an asshole to each other, like even just couples, a couples counselor, just somebody to just talk you through some shit, like. Objectively. Objectively, exactly. Because I don't mind taking those phone calls. I love it that my son calls me and is like, blah, blah, blah. And he can vent to me and he knows that I'm never going to say anything. But at the same time, I'm not objective. I'm his mama. Like nine times out of 10, I'm going to take his side. But when he's an asshole, I'm going to tell him he's an asshole. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't have the capability to go reflect on yourself. You know what I mean? The, 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 the clinical training that it takes to, to get somebody to make those steps just to open up their mind. Mm -hmm. and so anyway, I just think that that all has to do with societal conditioning. And had I broke that conditioning at age five, I feel like I could have done something differently. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I think we're always going to be dealing with that as parents of the like the regret of not having these tools when we were raising our kids at that age. Like, I really feel like I'm the benefit of human design for me has been in how I interact with my family and how I interact with my children and understanding them better and being able to say like, yes, I, I recognize where I play a part in this and there's a, you know, I can do my best, but of course at the same time, no one gets out alive and we're all going to be, whether we, you know, the best of intentions, everyone, every parent has the best of intentions. Well, you would hope, <laughs> I guess I should amend that. Um, but we, we all go into it doing the best that we can. And then the next job that we have is to be able to, to say, okay, so I did my best. Obviously I can't undo the things, but for the next, the next generation, that grandbaby, it's saying, you know, we're going to know more about what, what that grandbaby needs. So it's mm -hmm. less about your kids now. I mean, the adults will come into understanding themselves, hopefully at some point. I mean, a lot of times they're turned off to the deeper understanding because it's uncomfortable to know your weaknesses mm -hmm. and people sometimes can't really see their strengths. But anyways, we just, we digress. I, I will Sorry. say that <laughs> that's okay. No, I thought it was, I thought it was really great. Um, but an open solar plexus is really supposed to sample the emotional field around them, but also should maintain the perspective of an observer rather than assuming those emotions are their own. And that's, I think, really interesting is um, 
whether or not they're really in tune to those emotions, some people are really highly sensitive and some people I think just because of that sensitivity numb themselves to, to other emotions. Um, this, this piece about, uh, my, like, I don't want to say my husband's the only example, but, you know, I think that that emotional intelligence that we talk about is something that someone with an open solar plexus is capable of emotional intelligence, but that it's not inherent all the time. And that there are things that are almost learned behaviors that you have to take cues from in society. And some of that I think also is because of the conditioning. Like you don't react to things like the death of someone the same when you've been kind of turned off to emotions. And I also think that maybe there might be a link somewhere in here to um, those feeling like happiness should be more, we should have more happiness in our experience. And therefore that we might think that depression, that depression is depression, but that depression could be just an absence of happiness, not so much the, you know, there's, that there's levels to that. And that, that I think that sometimes we might misplace the idea that depression, I'm not saying like clinical depression or anything. I'm just saying that the idea that we should be happy all the time and that there's a feeling that we should have or an emotion that we should have all the time that not having, then the, the next assumption is that there must be something inherently wrong that, that would be depression. So I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I, I feel like the conditioning says we're supposed to be happy all the time when really we have a whole range of emotions that we should be feeling mm -hmm. and that's okay. It's perfectly okay. <laughs> so um, an open solar plexus may not realize that they are not the cause of the emotional wave in those around them, especially open center children. So um, I had to go back and look and um, see if I had some open center children. I feel a little bad because yeah, how terrible would it be to have to lie or hide the truth about yourself to avoid the outburst from others, especially parents. So you're an emotional generator. And <laughs> <laughs> like, like you. And you, and you have children that may be an open center. They're, they're going to not only feel that, but amplify it in the emotional wave. So interesting. I just thought that Who's was your fun. open center kids, open That's solar plexus. Mm. So yeah, Trevor has an, he, Trevor's an emotion. So I'm going to go back and look now. My. Yeah, that would, that does make sense. That I think that tracks in, in the idea that, you know, having a defined emotional center, but being conditioned because of your, because of your gender would probably be more so. Um, and Trevor, I mean, that's the thing is like, he loves his friends. I think that you see a lot of that within someone with a defined center is like that they seek people out um, that, that give them happy feelings. Like they are really like usually someone that does kind of have, I guess, from just looking at the experience of you and I, we love to be around people that make us like feel like we're around sunshine mm -hmm. and but we also know that we can process those bad feelings with others like we can talk through bad shit we can talk about because that's part of how we process it too it's like bitching can have purpose when you need to just be able to get things 
out and off your chest. And that's part of our emotional wave. So it's like, but we also really talk about like things that made us feel good. I feel like that's when you see those imbalances in relationships, it's because the focus becomes on like that constant bitching activity or the, you know, comparing how one person's experience is worse than another's. Yeah. Um, one upping, I believe that <laughs> the one upping experience, like mine's worse because of this. And yeah, no, for sure. I, those with an open solar plexus are more influenced by the emotions around them than those with a divine solar plexus. In fact, the emotions of defined solar plexus are imprinting on the openness of the undefined solar plexus. So I went back and looked real quick and I was on the wrong chart. All three of my children are defined. Mm -hmm. So they're all emotional defined. <laughs> so yeah, so you've got a pretty- one that's undefined. Yeah. And that's yeah. probably why he looks at all of you and wonders like what the motivation is behind all, like why everyone feels like they need to express their feelings all the time. like that there's a lot of, um, you know, just confusion, I think, on the part of the open centers about what makes, uh, what drives, an, you know, the emotional authority. Um, and what I love about emotional authority, and this has been something that we've talked about so much, um, is the, like the, the ability to look at things and be able to say, I need time to process this. Like there are even decisions that, that Mary and I have talked about we'll say like we need to make a decision on this and then we'll be like but you know what I don't know yet we'll talk about it but we'll both just say that's the best thing about having a partner with the same authority is that we can say I don't quite know yet I don't quite know what I'm doing yet and I need time and I'll figure it out and I'll have an answer but I don't have it yet <laughs> that's like one of my favorite things about being the emotional authority that we both have it it was we can mm -hmm. say when do we need to have a, a decision made by? And we never necessarily have to like, feel certain about something, but we, I usually go with like an 80%. This feels about like 80% the right decision. Yeah. I might regret it later. Um, but I, I do kind of lean into looking at that, that, that I'm not going to feel 100% certain all the time. If I do, then obviously I want to listen to that, but yeah. sometimes, it's better to give myself even with a hell yes, to give myself time to think about the potential pitfalls mm -hmm. of saying yes right away. Personally, I've lived my experience. I've lived my experiment saying yes too quickly and changing my mind, which is good. It's okay to change your mind. Um, but a lot of that is a test. It's, um, you know, when we're given decisions that we would need to make with our emotional authority, those are little tests for us to say, will my worth be diminished by saying yes or no? You know, what are those things that were, are going into our decision-making, but really taking the time to sit with it and not be like, Oh, somebody needs an answer. Somebody needs an answer. Right. I don't give any bucks anymore about when yeah. I don't want to be inconsiderate. And that is my, my. No, and, and I think that the, if, if somebody's pressuring for a decision then the decision has to be no, if I don't have time to, mm -hmm. to go the thought process and um, my, I am always a worst case scenario. So what's the worst thing can, that can happen if I say yes, what's the worst thing that can happen if I say no. Yeah. And then I can fall back from there to the, the, how is it going to affect me beyond that? But I always, 
I, I, if somebody is going to pressure me, unless it's a absolutely yes. And I feel it with my whole being, it's a no. Yeah. And sometimes it's really just like, I don't necessarily even do. Sometimes the decision isn't something I've done pros and cons on. Sometimes it's just that when I, I know that it feels like it's the right decision and it feels about like, that's, what's so funny is like, I think that sometimes we think about that all of those decisions are being made with our mind and human design is all about saying, our mind is not really doing the heavy lifting that we think it is. Yes, we can make those lists on pros and cons and and it's important too. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the actual knowing what the right answer is comes from so different a place than where those pros and cons lists are are going. Um, It's just really leaning. It's, it's trusting that body response to say, I'm at peace with this answer. I feel like that peacefulness with the answer, even when it's a no, even when you're going to be disappointed because you had to say no, you're at peace with that answer. And you're not like, oh, I, I wish I would have. I mean, if you wish you would have said yes, remember that. Remember those feelings. Remember what the doubt was because the doubts that keep us and hold us back are all mind doubts. Those doubts aren't coming from our human design chart. They're coming from this mind who's trying to drive, drive the bus when really it's just needing to be kind of a passenger along for the ride. Um, the one thing that I thought was, I wanted to make sure we, we looped back on is that the open solar plexus does not mean that one doesn't have emotions. I think I started when I, I talked about that, it just means that it makes them more susceptible to believing the emotions of others around them. And I think that that's, something to remember because when I'm emotional, I tend to make situations a little worse and sometimes removing myself from an emotional situation. Like I had, I was having a little sad day on Saturday <laughs> and um, I, my husband, and he, he didn't do anything to like, he didn't know he was going to piss me off to the level that he did. And, and I, and I made it a point to go home rather than tell people "Mm, me, I just went to my room and I was by myself because I knew my emotions were almost poisonous to others at that point. And I just really wanted to make sure that I wasn't poisoning the well. And that's, that's okay. I feel like sometimes that can feel like rejection to some people, but at the same time, it's like, well, you can feel rejected. I feel like I'm protecting you from, from the way I feel right now. It, it's true. It absolutely. I, it's so funny. Cause the next day I had the same situation where I had to come home and lock myself in my room and be alone because I knew I was making things worse. I, I absolutely, everything that was happening, I was amplifying in some way. And it actually, now that I look at it, I was doing it. Josh was amplifying it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But um, the fact that I can just remove myself and it has nothing to do with anybody except for stopping the amplification of my crazy emotional wave. (laughs) Yep. And we both have these, these partners that have the, the open solar plexus. And so it is, it's one of those things where it's like, sometimes those of us with a defined emotional um, solar plexus center, it's important that we give voice to some of those things so that we can bridge that gap and saying, it's not a rejection of you. It was a protection 
for me. It was a protection of my energy because sometimes when we know that we're prickly, like, have you ever been a bitch and you you're watching it from a distance and you wish that you could stop? I mean, you're nodding. You're nodding emphatically. I feel like this is like the way we can be with our parents. We can be just little bitches with our, especially with our moms. Um, And it's just like, even when you don't want to, even when you don't want to, you're just like vicious. And um, yeah, I identify with that a lot. I think that that's universal. We all have that happen. And we, we frown on it so much in children because we want them to be nice and we want them to be good. And we tend to forget in our own, in our own world as an adult, we feel vicious too. And it's not, it's not evilness. It's part of our human experience, but it's an understanding that if we're a snake coiled to strike, we probably need to move ourselves off the hiking trail, get away from the people that are trying to enjoy their day and, you know, be our snaky selves someplace else. It's the truth. All right. Do you have any lasting thoughts? No, I think that we'll be doing like our next episode will be a little bit more just like, again, maybe just talking about some different topics. We want to slowly take you through the rest of the chart Um, So we'll be starting that here soon, but I'm just really excited. I'm so glad that we decided to do this series and talk about these centers. Every single one has been um, a joy to research and learn more about. Um, I truly enjoy the learning process and I'm so excited that we have books now. The books make I don't know. I do love that. So. It is. It's, it's been fantastic. So, well, I, just, I, I hope you have a wonderful day, Miss Mary. You too. Bye. Bye.